I've selected for our topic this morning, God's mudroom before worship. Our passage for consideration is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. So if you would take a copy of God's word and make your way to James chapter 1, 19 to 25. And again, thank you for the opportunity to shepherd you with God's word and to explicate God's word. It's my privilege to, to be here with you and to walk you through this particular text in hope that it would talk. And it would speak to your lives, your families, and your church, and in some way be a ministry and a blessing to your pastor who labors week after week after week behind this sacred desk. I hope to compliment and probably say some things he's been saying to you, but maybe in a little different way, with a little bit different voice this morning. So God's mudroom before worship. Prior to moving to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, as Dave mentioned, I lived in, in Southern California, and I had never heard of a mudroom, for there was no need in Southern California for such uh, a mechanism in any one home. If you don't know what a mudroom is, it's a, basically a barrier between the outside of your home and the inside of your home, and it's kind of designed for, for two purposes. One, uh, to bring sanity to your wife, with all the kids coming in from the dirty, muddy, snowy outside, and entering into the home, uh, it's a chance for them to kind of derobe and jettison all of the soiled garments and put on some clean garments. And it's usually lined with hooks and has the appropriate flooring to handle the kind of weather, maybe even a drain like ours in the center of the floor. We can just kind of slosh everything to the drain and, and kind of move on. And then they enter into the home. So this was a new concept from Southern California to Louisville, Kentucky, where we've experienced the last three years about everything but pestilence. Uh, hurricanes, snow, ice storms like you as well. So one of the reasons is just pure sanity for our wives. The other reason is to, you know, just bring and have an opportunity to get rid of all that soiled uh, garments and uh, even the pets get hosed down there and they're stopped before they enter the home. So it really is a is a wonderful tool, useless in Southern California, profitable uh, in in Louisville, Kentucky, like it is here in Nashville. And so it's a rather simple concept. Our text this morning, we encountered God's mudroom, a text that kind of causes us to pause and to think about the necessity of derobing of some things in our lives prior to gathering together in corporate worship. There's the putting off of soil garments and then the necessity of putting on clean garments so that when we sit and when we gather in corporate worship, we do, through, do so appropriately, we don't do it casually, and we do it succinctly based upon the Scriptures. So let me read the passage, kind of set it into our minds, and we're just going to walk through this passage in hopes that it will teach us how we should worship and how we should gather and how we should encounter worship when we come together Every Sunday, James writes in verse 19, this, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man, as you know, doesn't even achieve the righteousness of God. It, it doesn't even come close. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and then in humility Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But 
Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently into the perfect law, that is the law of liberty, and abides by it, remains there, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, why this man will be blessed in what he does. James provides for us the the necessary disciplines that allow us to set up the most important element of worship and gathering in corporate worship. This little section of scripture is like a a mini worship guide. It's it's what you need to know when you gather together corporately, what disciplines that need to take place prior to worship, in the midst of worship, and even post-sermon or post-worship. Its companion text is Ecclesiastes 5, 1-7. That's why I asked uh, for uh, the elders to read that particular passage. This would be the companion text to Ecclesiastes 5 and how we enter and how we worship the Lord. It's written to be a caution as we approach worship as a corporate body or as a community of believers. It's immensely important that we take inventory of our attitudes and our habits as we gather to worship. To think twice about approaching corporate worship casually. Now, at our church, and I'm sure at this church, you take worship very serious. And a lot of what we have already done this morning are acts of worship. But there is no worship quite like the teaching and the preaching and the explicating of God's Word. Like the Reformers, we hold the position that the preaching of God's Word in corporate worship is the supreme act of worship. The whole entire service if you notice, is weighted toward the teaching of God's Word. The most time this morning is devoted to the discovery and the teaching of God's Word. That is intentional. So the question is, how do we get the most out of the service? How do we get the most out of a community of believers when we gather, and the elders have chosen this particular time slot in particular, so when we gather, how do we extract the most That is exactly what James is trying to help us with. That is exactly what James wants to teach us this morning. How to get the most out of God's Word. You know, there's two sides to this supreme act of worship. There is the expository preaching, 2 Timothy 4.2. And then, the other half of the equation is expository listening. Now, I will assume that you have high expectations on your pastor to be an expository preacher, to come Sunday after Sunday and deliver the Word of God faithfully in its context to you. So you have high expectations for expository preaching. But I think sometimes we forget when we gather as a community of believers, there's also an expectation that you engage in expository listening. And so most of the weight is on the pastor to deliver. James is now pointing out 
the need for expository listening. The weight of this passage is on you and your ability to respond and your ability to listen and your ability to, to, to develop a keen ear in hearing the word of God as demonstrated in this supreme act of worship. We believe in transformational expository preaching. In other words, preaching that transforms lives. There's also transformational expository listening as stated here in 22 to 25. And so this text provides the blueprint. It's kind of a, a, a biblical audiology, how to listen and how to get the most out of corporate worship. Let me set the context for you a little bit because we're kind of parachuting right into the middle of the book of James and, and we don't have any uh, running start at this particular uh, context. So this, let me just remind you of chapter 1 and kind of where we're at. James is, is writing to the diaspora, to believers who have been dislodged from Jerusalem in particular and been scattered because of persecution. And so they're in outlining areas north of Palestine, different places. And so he's writing to help them. James is the first book written in the New Testament, written around A.D. 44, maybe 45, maybe 46. So it's the first New Testament book written that's going to come into play in our text. Up until this point, he's been teaching in chapter one for them how to how to handle trials. And there's a huge section, a robust section on handling trials. Then he teaches them how to handle temptation and and, and basically reminds them that God tempts no one, that we are the problem. God is not the author. We are. And our temptations come out of our own lust. And he walks us through that passage. So how to handle trials, how to handle temptation. Third section, James chapter one, how to handle truth, how to be an effective expository listener, how to get the most out of Corporate worship. Verse 21 is at the epicenter of this section. This is the key text. It it hinges on this particular verse. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted. So this is how to respond to the word of God. James is trying to teach them what. Samuel mentioned in 1 Samuel 3.10, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That is the exact point of James chapter 1, 19 through 25. So in these verses, James provides for us six kind of both prerequisites and post-sermon responses, habits, disciplines that each one of us need to ingrain into our DNA as we come and as we worship together. The first one I want to call your attention to is there in verse 19. You saw it. You should have noticed it. It is this first habit. Open your ears. Look what he says in verse 19. This, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. James is tying their sanctification to the word of God, which has been previously mentioned there in verse 18. And he's trying to help them understand that not only did the word of God bring about a a new birth, but it is to be followed up with a a whole new way of living. You're new in Christ. And so there's going to be not only an initial response to the word of God, 
but there's an ongoing response to the Word of God. So the Word of God is both the means for their salvation and the means for their ongoing progressive sanctification. As a matter of fact, one's desire for the Word of God is an indication or an ongoing evidence that they are actually in Christ. This insatiable desire and hunger for the Word of God that Peter mentions in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. So, James begins by saying, this you know. It's better translated now. Take close note of this. He's dialing in. He's focusing like a microscope. He's zeroing in on their lives as they gather and as they worship. Notice also in the text he says, everyone. There's no exemptions here. You can't audit sermons. You you can't clep out of corporate worship. This is for all of us this morning. And then he lays out the six habits. And he says, you and I must be quick to hear. Now, This is not a reference to the speed of listening. It is a reference to the quality of listening. This is what James is after. He's not saying be quick and aggressive in your listening. He's talking about quality listening. A a listening to the Word of God and to the preaching of God's Word that grips you, that that challenges you and, and holds you. Why would this be significant? Context comes into play, right? The reason is they are 1st century, A.D. 44. They don't have the Gospels. This is 20 years post-resurrection. They don't have the Gospels. They don't have 1st Thessalonians. They don't have 1st Corinthians. They don't have 2nd Corinthians. They don't have any text of Scripture but the Old Testament. And so this would be absolutely significant because oral communication, when someone stood up to teach, was all they had. They couldn't go home and study their Bibles. They couldn't follow up. So listening was absolutely crucial to extracting in corporate worship the most out of God's Word. So James is saying you need to really be be listening. You, You need to be ready to receive the Word of God. He's talking about being a careful, effective, serious listener of God's Word. When you sit under the Word of God, it's important that you sit with the intention to extract the most out of God's Word. You must be intentional about listening in corporate worship. So it's far more than just acknowledging the facts. He's talking about listening with the intent to apply the Word of God, with the intent to obey the Word of God. Yes, it's cognitive, but there's also transformation that's expected when the pastor stands up and teaches and when the man of God stands up to explicate God's Word. He's expecting, he has high expectations that you're going to apply what he is teaching. So there's some principles that we encourage in our church that I'd like to to pass on to you. For example... We teach, our elders teach, that Sunday morning actually begins Saturday night. So we both focus on the outer man by, simply put, uh, by getting the kids ready, by laying out clothes, that there won't be any distractions on Sunday morning. We, we don't want to be distracted. And, and in a home, if you have children, you know chaos uh, can, can happen on Sunday morning. Frustrations can be there and it totally distract corporate worship. If at all possible, we don't stay out on Saturday nights. 
Uh, we're, we're kind of pregame. We're, we're warming up for the sermon. We're looking at the text because we're walking through passages of Scripture. We're lopping them off like sausages. So my church knows when I come back, we're going to be in James chapter 2, the next set of verses. They can look ahead. They can see where we're going. They can, can study the Word of God for themselves. So we get enough rest. We, we prepare the soil of a heart. So we're confessing sin, making sure just as a family unit that we're right with one another, that there's, there's no sin. We're not harboring sin in our lives, anything that would hinder the, the hearing of God's word. So we focus on the outer man. We try to remove every distraction. Then we kind of focus in on the, the inner man and prepare the soil of our hearts so that when the word of God is taught, it can be planted into into fruitful and and fertile soil and not fallow ground. So Saturday nights for us is just an opportunity for us to break up that fallow ground, to to kind of churn the soil so that we'll be ready to to hear the Word of God. So we're pre-intentionally planning on extracting the most out of God's Word. So James is calling for careful listening to cultivate the spiritual discipline of hearing the Word of God with the intention to apply the Word of God. The reason why this is significant, especially today, is that we have a lot of non-listening listeners to sermons. Uh, They may hear the facts, but there's no express intention to do anything about those facts. And so it's what I call sloppy listening, where we come and we kind of audit the sermon, we hear what the preacher's saying, We doze in and out, but we're not planning to have our lives transformed. We're not planning for God to show up at church and to radically reform our lives. We're planning to come, check off the box, and depart and head off to lunch. But when you get into the discipline of listening, this means Sunday morning begins actually Saturday night by not being tired, by by not being hungry, by removing every possible inhibitor to effective listening to the Word of God. And so biblical listening is listening with the intention for obedience, for transformation. And so this is exactly what James is after. He says, this you know. Take note of this. My beloved brethren, everyone, everyone here this morning must be quick to hear must be a careful, intentional hearer of God's Word with the purpose of applying the very Word of God. There's a genuine eagerness to hear the Word of God. And so I ask you this morning, just as we pause at this one, one phrase of six, just one phrase, are you seizing every opportunity and doing everything within your means possible To be a good expository listener. It's expected of you. You expect good preaching. I expect good listening. That means you're going to have to be intentional. And so as they had a problem in the first century, so we have a problem in the 21st century with this need for careful listening. Do you have, honestly, an insatiable hunger for God's Word? Do you take the hearing seriously? Do you take it with responsibility? It is the first duty of corporate worship. Open your ears, James says. Second discipline. Notice it there in the text. It's right there. Slow 
to speak. So not only do you need to open your ears, you need to close your mouth. You need to close your mouth. Listen, God's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. It should be blatantly obvious to all of us this this morning that we need to learn to close our mouths. Why? Because we are all prone to false spiritual boasting, unwise promises, spiritual commitments to people we never intend to act upon. Like, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll, I'll be praying all week for you. We, we, we say things all the time that we don't follow through with. So this is where Ecclesiastes 5 kind of is, is in position here to really speak into the issue. This is why Solomon says, listen, when you come to the house of God, walk softly. Don't come in here boastfully, uh, you know, making all these commitments to the Lord and, and making oaths that you never intend to keep because God's going to actually hold you accountable to that. As the psalmist writes, we swear at our own hurt, right? We make a commitment, he expects us to follow through. That is a biblical principle. So James calls for this congregation and this congregation to deploy restraint with our tongues. It's a companion to really the the first discipline because it's really hard to, to be listening if you're always talking. Your mouth will get in the way and inhibit your ability to engage in expository listening. You know, the, the tongue is an amazing, amazing element. This is a big theme in James, as you know. If you'd go over to chapter 3, you could see that the tongue's going to surface. A little, this little four-ounce member in our body really kind of dictates a lot of what we do and gets us in tremendous, tremendous trouble. And so we're to walk softly. We're to control our speech In other words, we're not to be big talkers. We're to be careful listeners and careful talkers. We don't start boasting and popping off and making false promises and false commitments. Slow to speak. Quick to hear, but slow to speak. This is a constant theme in Proverbs. You you can look at chapter 10, chapter 17, chapter 29. He who has loose lips engages in folly. He engages in sin all the time. You know, I think sometimes we forget that everything that we say, we will be accountable for. Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus said, every single word out of our mouths, we will answer to the Lord for. So James is simply saying, in your new faith, in the diaspora, in AD 44, don't start talking big. Live big. Don't, don't just start boasting about doing all these things. Just do things. Don't make public announcements about your new obedience. Just obey. You need to open your ears. You need to close your mouth. It's an old proverb, old Scottish proverb. It's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought stupid than to open it and leave no doubt about it. One we would do well in hearing this morning, right? Third discipline. Right in the text. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. James says, not only do you need to open your ears and close your mouth, you need to control your temper. 
You need to control your temper. You see, when the body gathers, James calls upon forbearance. Because forbearance is needed. We must. It's imperative that we control our bitterness and restrain our attitudes towards one another. Why? Because anger and wrath inhibit worship. You want to quench the spirit here at Calvary Bible Church? Then show up at odds with a brother or show up at odds with a sister or show up with a chip on your shoulder or show up with some bitterness. If you think worship is happening, I've got another word for you this morning. James says, not a chance in this lifetime. Oh, you can look like a worshiper and you can raise your hands like a worshiper. But if you are estranged from another, you are estranged from God. That's what the scripture teaches. And so James says, listen, when you gather, you better control your temper. And by the way, anger isn't a controlled emotion. You ever notice that? People control their emotion. They know when they're in the right setting, if they were before the president of the United States, they're not going to pop off. And they're not going to be angry. They're not going to display wrath. But somehow when they get home with their family, then they display anger. They'd never show up at church like that because they would be embarrassed. Well, that tells you it's a controlled anger, right? God's looking for consistency prior to worship and even in the midst of worship that we control our tempers. The word orge or wrath, deep-seated, personal, smoldering bitterness towards one another. This is the, the word James pulls into context here and says that needs to be set aside. That is one of the soiled garments in God's mudroom that has to be laid down and discharged and disposed of prior to worship. It's not talking about righteous anger. You know there's a righteous anger. He's clearly in context talking about a sinful anger. It's been, there's been far too many nasty, angry church meetings. And James hits the nail right on the head. Carnal zeal is behind all of it. He says, you've got to get rid of carnal zeal. This anger. Churches go from being a lighthouse to being a towering inferno because of this very issue that he's after in the text. Anger kills listening. So put off the dirty garments of anger, malice, and wrath. Why? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 20. It's a continuation. It's color. It's like slow to anger with HD. For the anger of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, James says it doesn't bring about the righteous life that God so desires as a byproduct of transformational expository preaching because it cuts it off at the knees. That's what he's after. You see, anger drives away everyone, including God. So if we think... We're under the illusion that we're worshiping and there's this angerness and personal bitterness going on. Remember what Jesus said? If you know someone has something against you, you lay your gift at the altar. Don't come up giving gifts. We don't need your gifts. We would like your heart. He says, go and make peace with that person. Man's anger is not righteous anger. It will never be righteous anger. It's a fleshly response it needs to be in check. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be purged. Why? You know this. But an angry spirit is an unteachable spirit. And, and James says, you'll never receive the implanted word of God when you have anger in your heart because you're closed off. It's like followed. You followed your heart. 
It's a mess. If you're angry with a brother, you're angry with God. So James says, listen, here's some of the disciplines. As you gather to worship in the context of the sermon and post-sermon. First, open your ears. Second, close your mouth. Third, control your temper. Fourth, clean your heart. Look at the text. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. This is at the epicenter of of James' thought. He says, therefore. He's connecting these previous clauses to the present verse. This is how you are to receive God's Word. And he says we need to put aside. This is our clothing metaphor. This is our mudroom metaphor. It's literally a word that they would use for removing dirty garments and then putting on clean garments. It's the putting aside. It's derobing is the Greek word. Hence our metaphor of removing or stripping away dirty clothes. Divesting yourself and your family and your heart of sin. You see, in God's mudroom, there must be first a putting off and then a putting on. Now, this isn't new to James, right? Uh, he was the first to say it because he's the first letter out. But Paul picked up on this too. He picked up on it in Colossians 3. He picked up on it in Ephesians 4. It's simply putting on and putting off. Or putting off and putting on. There has to be a putting off of sin and then putting on a, a righteous attribute or a piece of righteous fruit to, 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 to make it a full equation of sanctification. In other words, if you're always saying no to sin but not saying yes to some righteous attribute, then you're only halfway there in your sanctification. It takes both. So in biblical counseling, we talk about putting off and putting on. This is exactly what James is saying. There has to be a divesting of sin. There has to be repentance there. This is a New Testament pattern for sanctification. And God is not satisfied in, unless we are divesting ourselves, look at the text, of all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness. Do you see the repeated word, all? It's comprehensive in nature. This is a comprehensive expectation. He says, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Every known vestige, every semblance of filthy sin or evil, everything, everything you can possibly think of, everything that you're currently aware of, prior to engaging in community, prior to gathering in worship, there needs to be confession of sin. This is simply 1 John 1, 9, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It's kind of a depravity hangover. We're We're to tune in our ears. We're to close our mouth. And we're to repent of anything that would inhibit the implanting of God's Word in our life. We need to strip away dirty and defiling Character flaws that inhibit the acceptance of God's Word. Because when you're harboring sin, you just won't hear God's Word. A pastor will be up here banging truth out week after week, faithfully explicating the Word of God. And it's like hitting a wall Sunday after Sunday. Why? Because he doesn't have fertile soil. He can't plant good seed and follow hearts. So it takes both transformational expository preaching and transformational expository listening. Clean up your act. Clean up your heart. These are inhibiting 
worship. So, come to worship with a clean heart. This is why Sunday morning begins Saturday night. That's what you do. You spend some time at the table or after the evening starts to close with your kids, with your wife. Is there anything we need to confess to one another? Is there anything we need to ask forgiveness? There should be because you're sinners, right? You always have to keep in perspective. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a hotel for saints, right? We're here. Everything we do is a constant reminder of our need for confession. But are you doing it? Are you actually confessing your sin? He goes on and gives the fifth discipline. That is prepare your mind. Look at it in the text. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says in humility, in humility of mind. Why? Because pride inhibits the necessary hearing of God's word. He changes metaphors. He moves into the horticulture. He talks about the fertile soil. He talks about breaking up the, the fallow ground. Why? So that we can receive God's word. He's asking for a humility of mind. He's asking for a childlike response that when you come in, you come in teachable and not having figured out the faith. And not wearing a badge about how much theology you have. Because I'll tell you, Paul said later, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge does what? It puffs up. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Word of God. It's how much the Word of God knows you. It's not how much you get of the Word of God. It's how much the Word of God gets you. And James is dialing in on that because he's practical. He, he, he grew up with Jesus. He's his half-brother. First letter out of the gate. He is just dialing in on the necessity of corporate worship and the need to have humility of mind, the need to have a prepared mind, a teachable mind to receive the Word of God. Why, he says, look at it, which is able to save your souls. Not only do you need the Word of God for salvation, but you need the Word of God for ongoing sanctification. It's not like you get it one time and you don't need it anymore. It's a constant return. It's the constant refrain of the believer every Sunday, going back to the Word of God, being taught. The Word of God is, is so rich. I mean, yes, it's, 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 it's easy to understand. It's shallow enough to, like a mud puddle, to jump in and splash around. But it's deep enough to dive in and never touch bottom also. And this is why we return every week to the Word of God. You see, humility is the soul's appropriate garment so that you will wear the right garment to church, you'll have the humility, you clothe yourself in humility, so that you can receive the Word of God, which will sanctify you, which will transform you. Open your ears. Close your mouth. Control your temper. Clean your heart. Prepare your mind. And last, move your feet. Move your feet. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So you have kind of some pre-sermon instructions. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. You have during the sermon actions and expectations and disciplines and habits. 
Now, this is kind of a post-sermon. It's the, it's the full perspective of corporate worship. It's the full expectation. And he says, Dio, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's a, it's a, it's a conjunction of continuation. He's like saying, and one more thing. And by the volume of verses, it's a significant thing. It, there's volume here. There's intensity with James. He, he's going to even change metaphors. He's a captor, captain of illustrations. He's masterful at it. He uses them all through the sermon. But he's saying personal application is of necessity. Transformation is the point. A sermon's not a sermon until it's applied. Listening's not listening until it's applied. This is expository listening. To hear and do nothing about it is not faithful listening. Now, since your pastor's not here, can I give you a little behind the scenes on pastoral ministry, having been doing this for 25 years. You want to bless your pastor when he returns? You want to minister to a minister? You want to love on him beyond giving him a sabbatical, which is very gracious and very kind? I'd recommend you do it every year, but, but anyway, you want to bless him? The highest joy of any pastor is to see his people respond to the Word of God, to respond to his teaching. To see God's Word take root. To see God's Word transform your life. I think we need to make a commitment this morning as a church. The commitment is this. You cannot go up to your pastor and say, Good sermon, preacher. Brother, you preached it today. You lit them up. Boy, do they need that. You dialed it right in. No. That's not good listening. Anybody can say that. It's like a good play or a good game. We say that all Saturday. Good game. College football game. That's not what we're about when we gather in community. What it looks like is this. Preacher, pastor, Dave, this is what we plan to do as a family in light of what you just said. You start articulating to him and you will, you will, you will bless him. You will transform him. He will preach harder and faster and stronger and more aggressive because he sees the Word working. He needs to see the Word working in your lives. So jettison the silly, casual niceties and be honest and say, you preach this passage and this is what we're planning to do. We're going to talk about it at lunch, but we'll come back maybe Monday, give you a ring, drop you a note, tell you exactly how it's going to look like in our family as a result of your labor in the Word of God. Can we make that commitment? You cannot say, try it for a month, I dare you. No, I double-dog dare you. you. For one month, you cannot go up to him and say, when he gets back, and say, oh, good sermon, preacher. Good sermon. That's, that's unhelpful to me. That's unhelpful to anybody. Go up and say, this is what we're going to do. This is what convicted me. Be honest, because that's what community looks like. That's what believers, when they gather, do. We confess our sins one to another. This is what we do. Not sloppy listening. This is what I'm planning to do as a, a family. You see, just listening is not enough. This is what James is after. Why? Because you are on dangerous ground if you plan to come and audit the sermon. If you plan to come and have no life change and no implication on you, your family, or your children, let me tell you, you're on dangerous ground. Look at the text. Don't prove yourselves just... He says, prove yourselves as doers of the word, not just hearers. Why? Who delude themselves. 
It's dangerous because you're under self-deception. You think you're actually growing just because you're sitting here. It doesn't work that way. You have to do something about it. So good expository listening, there's post-sermon response. There's post-sermon expectation. You have to do something with it. It has to take root. It has to change your life. Don't delude yourself. I'm begging you. Because you're hardening your heart. You're becoming a professional sermon listener. And that's dangerous. You don't want a professional pastor, trust me. You want a guy that's banging it out week after week and his heart's soft and molded when God's teaching him things and he's got this warehouse full of information but he only has like 30, 45 minutes to give you a showroom of content but he gives you his best. And your pastor's doing that. But are you listening biblically? Not just hearing, but with the express intent about doing something about it. Not careless listening, but intentional listening. And then he gives an illustration. Just in case you didn't get it, it's almost so pedantic. It's almost insulting. Right? James says, hey, if you're that guy or you're that lady and you've been doing this for years and you're a professional, it's like getting up in the morning, looking to marry. Your hair's bizarre. Your eyes are puffy. You need a little paint. And you look in the mirror and think, eh, let's hit the day running. And you got sleepy seeds and junk in your hair, lint. You picked up all this stuff because you won't get the right thread count. I mean, it's a mess, and you're just you're just picking up. And you just get up and say, eh, I'm not going to brush my teeth. I don't care how offensive it is. I'm not going to take care of the outer man. He says, you're like, look in the mirror, and you look at it. And keep in mind, mirrors back then were made out of metal, right? Not glass. So metal, so they had to polish the metal enough, so it was hard enough. And you just kind of look in the mirror, eh, I'm fine, and you go off to your day. You're like Mr. Forgetful. You forget what you look like. Or you can be like Mr. Faithful and you look into a mirror and he says you kind of stoop, you lean into that mirror and you begin to study it and you go, holy cow, there's some issues there. I'm getting old. You got a big blob of cream cheese from your bagel. You don't care. You care now. You're starting to look at it. That's all James is saying. It's simple. I don't need to elaborate on it, do I? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the man he looks at his natural face in the mirror, and once he's looked at it himself, he goes away and immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. What in the world is that? There's nothing about it. But one who looks intently, there's the stooping over, one who stares at the Word of God, at the perfect law of liberty, the, 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 the law of freedom, and then abides by it, does it, not having become a forgetful hero like the other dude, but an effectual doer, <laughs> this man is blessed in what he does. So you have an option here. You can either be Mr. Forgetful, you're the guy in the mirror that year after year after year has no intention and no plan but to audit sermons. Let me strongly encourage you, stop it today. Today. This is a new day for you. And start staring in the Word of God and asking the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and point things out that you can work on. You know what they are. We all have things to work on. Your preacher needs to work on something. I need to work on something. We all have issues, right? We, you know, we teach. We're flawed teachers. We're flawed men. We got things to work on. But professional serving, listening is nauseating to your pastor and it's nauseating to anybody that faithfully stands up and teaches the Word of God. So, 
my challenge to you is as you have a couple weeks to think about and to prepare for his return, that you begin to engage in serious expository listening. I mean, in posture, in, in attitude, in preparation, in response to the Word of God. When he stands at the door or stands here on Sunday morning, there ought to be a huge line telling him, and I promise you, you will freak him out. You'll creep him out. You'll call him out, right? But that's good. This is what community does. This is what we do. This is what James was after in the first century, but it, it's transcultural. It doesn't matter what century you're living in. 21st century, guess what? Of all generations, we're sloppy in our listening, are we not? We can't pay attention. Media has insulted our capacities, our, our, our ability to focus for any amount of time. Our stomachs are speaking louder than the Spirit. I mean, it's crazy what goes on at any given sermon event. I'm asking you, you've got to come, you gotta come to church ready. You've got to come hungry. You've got to come aggressive. Oftentimes people will say, uh, when they're leaving a church, they'll say, oh, the preacher wasn't feeding me. You know what I think? Or all preachers think? A little behind the scenes. We're thinking, you didn't come hungry. Because we were serving up steak. You've been eating junk food all week. What do you expect? This is what Saturday night we purge. And we come ready to hear God's word. James says, open your ears. Close your mouth. Control your temper. Clean your heart. Prepare your mind. Get your head on straight. And then move your feet to action. Pre-sermon, during the sermon, post-sermon. Are you going to be a good expository listener? Or are you just going to expect the preacher to stand up faithfully and teach faithfully every week with no intention of doing anything about it? You see, you can fool him and you can fool everybody around you. But secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. You can fool me, but you won't fool Jesus Christ. There's a coming a day, and there's a reckoning. And you'll be responsible for what you say and what you heard. That's why I'm saying it's a dangerous thing to harden your heart to God's Word. Let me encourage you. You want to bless your pastor? There's lots of tangibles you can do for him. But you want something in the metaphysical realm, in the spiritual realm? Start responding to God's Word. It will revolutionize your worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for James, the practical nature in which he writes these pithy clauses that really equip us and provide for us a mini worship guide. I pray that there would be a cessation of professional sermon listeners. I pray that there would be a renewed hunger for the Word of God. I pray that it would start with applying this passage this day. May we never forget James 1, 19-25. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.